This is Gotham TV Podcast Episode 104, where we are looking at Gotham Season 4, Episode 2, The Fear Reaper. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast. Welcome back, fellow Gothamites, to this episode of Gotham TV podcast, episode 104, where we're looking at The Fear Reaper, which is the second episode of this new season four of Gotham, titled A Dark Night. I am one of your hosts, John. Welcome back, old friends. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Yes, the Scarecrow arrives. Oh, so pleased, so pleased to see uh, the Scarecrow here uh, and Charlie Tehan as well. Uh, getting his face from from behind that mask as well. Uh, really good to see. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, really cool to see the Scarecrow. They're doing a great job with them this season. Really exciting episodes. They've been doing just killing it, knocking it over the park. Yeah, really good. And of course, if you are fearful about where to go to subscribe to uh, the podcast, Gotham TV podcast, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts. Just go to gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or of course you can search Gotham TV Podcasts in any other good or evil podcast catcher. Uh, and of course, subscribe. The You can leave a review if you want, but please, as always, uh, share the love and subscribe. We'd love uh, to see a few reviews up there this season. We haven't had any reviews on, for a while now, on no. iTunes for quite a long time, but we know we have our listeners out there on iTunes, so pop on over and give us a review. And if you want to share any thoughts about any of the episodes, you can email us at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com or pop over to our website and leave us a voicemail about 90 seconds of your thoughts of any of the episodes as we go through the season over at gothamtvpodcast.com. Yes, indeed. And of course, a quick reminder of the new prize draw for season four, which is the moment of the week, whether that is a line, a bullockism, a scene, a character, any moment that you really really enjoyed uh, from the episodes of season four mm -hmm. please share them with us and um, as Derek said you can go to our Facebook group and join there you can share it on Twitter at Gotham TV podcast or you can send in by email at feedback at Gotham TV podcast or voicemails if you like to hear your own dulcet tones uh, broadcast on the podcast. Absolutely. We'll share some of our favorite moments as the, as our coverage of this episode goes on. Definitely. Uh, as always, this is a spoiler-filled review of uh, episode two, The Fear Reaper. Uh, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Yeah, this episode is written by Danny Cannon again. Um, love that he gets the job of coming back on board and writing episodes this early in the season. He directed the first episode and has written the second episode. Uh, it was directed by Louis Shaw Melito. He's been working with Danny Cannon for years. We were watching an interview at the Tribeca TV Festival, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, uh, where Danny Cannon was saying he used to be his assistant producer back in the days and assistant director back on CSI, and he's worked with them for many, many years. He's directed two episodes of Gotham before. He did the A Bitter Pill to Swallow back in season two, the one with Eduardo Flamingo. Uh -huh. yes. remember that one. Uh, and he also did The Gentle Art of Making Enemies, which was one of our five out of five episodes from season three. Yes, fantastic. 
Really cool episode. John, do you want to tell them what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Under pressure to prove that the GCPD is still powerful, Jim Gordon attempts to bring in Jonathan Crane. However, Gordon puts himself in a dangerous situation at Arkham when he is forced to fight off lunatics and the demon within himself. Meanwhile, with Barbara Keane's unexpected return, Selina Kyle and Tabitha Galavan must consider risks that come with joining her in the weapon business. Despite being arrested by the GCPD, Bruce continues to fight in Gotham with a little help from Lucius Fox. Elsewhere, after being shoved aside by Penguin and Tabitha, Ivy takes matters into her own hands. Oh, loads of cool stuff in this episode. I wasn't expecting too much um, from the previews. I thought this was all going to be a Scarecrow episode. But loads going on with the other characters as well. Yes, and some big, big things with Ivy, Pepper, mm-hmm. and of course, um, even with uh, Barbara's return. It's so, huge. like three massive uh, sections to, to this episode of Gotham. And of course, one of those big points uh, is... The Scarecrow Brings Fear to Arkham. And just a a quick recap, we do our top five points of each episode of Gotham, our case notes, if you will. And uh, our first one is Scarecrow Brings the Fear to Gotham. Yes, this was a really big uh, part of this episode. Mm -hmm. The Fear Reaper is let loose in Gotham. For me, I really um, am so pleased that uh, Jonathan Crane... Charlie Tahan has been brought back. I said this in the previous episode, and I'm really glad that they allowed him to take the mask off when he was confronting Jim in Arkham Asylum. I thought it was a really good thing, just to remind us all that Jonathan Crane is still there behind the mask. You know, we've seen him in the movies uh, by Christopher Nolan, where, you know, he does work as a psychiatrist, at least in the early days before his alter ego comes. So he's still... And Jonathan Crane, but he is in fully embracing um, his alter ego of yeah. the Scarecrow. Um, I, I thought this was really, uh, just really, really good to see the references back to season one as well with his dad, especially um, his motivation for really trying to bring Jim down with his own fear, you know, that he would have to face it or get destroyed by it. Yeah. Um, really good to see. Loved his big scythe and scraping away on the table as he confronts Warden Reed. Definitely, uh, I loved the clowns. I mean, this was straight out of a horror movie for me. Uh, given that it has just been released there recently, that clown that Warden Reed sees, um, just with the spiky teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see him later shooting clowns as they sort of come towards him to attack him. And they are the personnel of Arkham Asylum. Yeah. Uh, you know, really tragic uh, in that sense, but a great way of seeing the disturbed mind of what Warden Reed. Yeah. Speaking of disturbed minds, that opening scene when Harvey and Jim find the uh, former henchman who has been who'd been gassed by the Scarecrow and hung up to replace the Scarecrow as, uh, as his father's property is so creepy. What a great moment. I wish they kind of saved that one for uh, for Halloween episode because it is the scariest opening I think we've had on Gotham since the beginning with uh, with him screaming, the Scarecrow's here. Uh, brilliant moment, though. Definitely. I, I think this run into Halloween is going to be really, really cool uh, for, for Gotham by simply having... Um, the Scarecrow return, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed how um, the the Scarecrow really 
sort of gets all the people in in Arkham by effectively um, giving them the, his fear toxin. Yeah. Uh, really liked how he mobilizes them against Jim as Jim is sort of let loose in Arkham uh, on his Todd, on his own, yeah. uh, so to speak. Fair, fair use to the marketeers for using that image of the warden dressed up as a clown where he's painted his face just like a clown because he's embraced his fear. Because I remember when this was shown back at, at San Diego Comic-Con, everybody assumed this was another of Jerome's henchmen coming back into the show. Uh, so fair use to them for using that. Clowns are a very important part of the Gotham mythos and the Batman mythos. So uh, so quite cool they've used this in a slightly different way. It was Absolutely. Like a fun little touch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing just to go through as well in that, you know, Jerome has always been talked of as being Jerome, mm-hmm. not the Joker yet yeah. on on Gotham, despite the huge number of similarities yeah. that are have been developed since season one. But here we do have potentially uh, another reason for the Joker being created, possibly through the fear toxin. Possibly, yeah. I suspect it's not going to be, but it would be interesting, you know, the fact that they are keeping the Joker's presence hidden uh, by having Jerome come back, you know, a couple of times each season. There's there's different, the Red Hood gang as well. We've now got the, the Warden uh, fully embracing the idea of a clown, uh, here, mm-hmm. so there's a number of different routes here in Gotham that they're giving uh, themselves to allow for the development of the Joker once he is revealed. And I mean, it may be something completely different. They may all be red herrings, even Jerome. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I'm really enjoying that for sure uh, here. Definitely. What I loved about the fear toxin in this episode as well is that last season they explored with the Alice Touch virus. They explored the idea of your biggest character trait, the worst thing about you or the biggest thing about you uh, turning into what controls you uh, when you take the Alice Touch virus. So, so for example, Leslie Tompkins beca- became obsessed with being with Jim knew that she was in love with him after taking the Alice Touch virus. This time, the fear toxin brings out your greatest fear. And for Jim, it's losing the one he loves uh, because of all the damage he's been doing um, by trying to do the right thing all the time. So, yeah, in fact, that it might actually be him who's causing the, the harm and the damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really like the idea. And I like the I like the kind of breakdown of it that effectively Jim overcame it because he accepts it. He understands that this is potentially the worst path possible for him is that he goes down this path and he's able to break out of it. I thought it was quite cool. And to finish out the Scarecrow point, really, Scarecrow gets away at the end of this episode. Yeah, so he he's... is in the wind, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I thought that was a great thing because there was this moment um, where Jim is sort of forced into a handshake with with Oswald Cobblepot in yeah. the GCPD and, and making sure that Jim will bring Scarecrow back within 24 hours. Otherwise, the GCPD is kind of under the Penguin's control. Um, and I I was immediately thinking, oh no, that means the Scarecrow is loose in Gotham for just 24 hours, that Jim's going to get him back. Exactly. But it doesn't pan out like that. So really, um, I was really pleased to see that the Scarecrow gets away um, and is out there to wreak havoc uh, in Gotham. And certainly, I think, just for the show... That happening in and around Halloween is going to be great for the show. Absolutely. I was questioning whether they would use the Scarecrow to be the one that brings in the fear of bats for, for Bruce Wayne in future. So having having the Scarecrow out there now in the city and having a possible crossover with Bruce Wayne and his development as this 
vigilante in the city would be quite cool. Uh, John, should we go on to case note two? Yes, Jim loses the GCPD. Mm. Um, we really see uh, like a fantastic moment where Harvey makes good on his promise that there will be a moment where he will say never um, and he will go against Jim and we have this here as Jim loses um, the the officers of the GCPD um, to his view on how they should uh, enforce the law in in Gotham and Harvey in fact in fairness to Harvey we find out later he is playing the long game he's like saying if I came with you to Arkham to, to try and bring in the Scarecrow, I would have lost all these guys. I wouldn't be able to influence them. It is a really interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously the GCPD are still police officers and Jim is going to stop, not just go and get the Scarecrow, he's trying to stop these hundred criminals that have been infected by the virus. And they just ignore him and kind of go, oh, well, we're not paid to do that kind of thing. But they are. It was, <laughs> it, it was very um, weird and wonderful and funny um i must say the the police sergeant be behind the desk who says um this isn't what we're doing you know we're not paid enough to protect and serve well that's <laughs> exactly what you are uh, paid to do and quite frankly uh you're fired um, you know it, it, it seemed odd that they would down tools um, and almost strike in a sense yeah. um it, it felt a bit strange but i suppose it's that they have the promise of better pay happening from Penguin. Um, and I suppose with Harvey, it's for him, it was more about maintaining his relationship with his officers as the captain so that he could, you know, really keep them on board. And um, so that was a smart move by Harvey Bullock, for sure. I totally agree. I like the point where he says, you know, effectively, if I lose them, all that happens is the new captain that comes in is put there by the Penguin. So yeah. now we've definitely lost the GCPD if that happens. Yeah, it's quite a cool little point. I think it's on to point number three. Big one, really. Babs is back, John. Yeah, Barbara is back and in a really cool location as well. I mean, yeah. that did remind me slightly of the Ogre's apartment. Without a doubt. She's know? definitely got some inspiration from her time with the with the Ogre at his S&M equipment. I would think so, yeah. And I mean, I, I just thought it was... Uh, really cool. Again, how has she come back? Uh, for me, I'm thinking Rachel Ghoul. I'm thinking Lazarus Pitt. Yep. That somewhere in there, maybe she um, was swept up by Rach and put back into the Lazarus Pitt. Is there a connection even there with uh, Barbara? Is um, that Talia, for example? Are we assuming that she might be Talia Al Ghul in some way uh, that she does doesn't know. Interesting. Um, you know, what's the connection there? But I definitely think there's an element of her being um, sponsored by, by Rachel Ghoul. I like then the whole tension with Penguin when he comes in. He wants to know who she's being sponsored by and that she'll have to pay all these taxes and so on. You know, he does not realize that there is this other force within the shadows in Gotham through uh, Rachel Ghoul and his League of Shadows. Um, it's really, really cool. Um, as well as the, the, the meeting with Tabitha and, and Barbara again. Mm-hmm. What's the saying? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. A and in this case, a hand. a hand for a hand. Yeah. <laughs> like that was, um, really good. I'm liking the way that Selena 
is almost the the go-between for them in this episode. I thought that was a really nice uh, position to put Selena in. I th- although I did like that little moment where Tabitha says, get the word out to Barbara, I'm willing to meet with her. And then cuts to Barbara a little bit later on. Barbara goes, Selena told me this. So get the word out actually means, Selena, would you just go drop this message off, please? Yeah. <laughs> but she also seems to be a bit of the voice of reason for Tabitha. Definitely. Because it did feel like, you know, Tabitha did kill her at the end of last season. She killed her for the death of, of Butch. Uh, her partner um, it felt like she was very close to doing the same thing again to just killing her like why wouldn't she she hasn't resolved anything now she didn't get to kill Barbara and, and Butch hasn't returned or anything so there's no out of this for Barbara but no, it uh, seems like there's a little bit of trust starting to develop there yeah I mean it was a tense standoff and I, I love the cleaver that she would do it only if she chops her hand off but she doesn't yes you know the, there's something there um, the they did have a relationship previously, so maybe that's still there. As you say, Selena is the voice of reason here. Like, I did like, as they were playing out their sort of confrontation, Barbara and Tabitha, that Selena is kind of just like looking at them with just going, you two are crazy. Yes. Um, you're really full on and you're sort of acting in completely irrational way towards one another. Um, but it will be interesting to see how that relationship goes forward. Certainly knowing that um, Butch in a different guise will be returning mm-hmm. around episode five as Solomon Grundy. Then, you know, will he meet Tabitha? Uh, will he even remember her? And will he remember uh, Barbara? And, Barbara and, did to him, yeah. yeah. And in fact, with Solomon Grundy born on a Monday, is he going to be another puppet here that of Rachel Ghoul. Now that Raish is on the scene, he seems to be uh, able to bring people back at will <laughs> in the same way, well, through the Lazarus pit, in the same way that Indian Hill was there to provide that uh, route for resurrection. I know, as, as Harvey Bullock said, this is Gotham, nobody ever stays dead, do they? <laughs> no, exactly. So this is a really good moment uh, of the week, certainly. And it's here that, you know, it's the setup of the sirens as well, effectively. Yeah. So we'll see how they go uh, yeah. and how they form and how they compete with Penguin. Because I have absolutely um, no hesitation in saying that this is going to be a counterpoint to um, Penguin's schemes and licensing arrangement and it'll be very much backed by Rachel Gould so um, this is almost like a, a, a new court of owls if you will um, sort of backed by by Raish but but maybe with a bit more of a personal touch um, and I just wonder whether Barbara has a deeper connection with Rachel. Yeah, yeah, I'd be really intrigued to see that coming up. But it is kind of cool seeing the siren setting up here. So we've got, obviously, Barbara Keane, we've got Tabitha Galavan and Selena so far, potentially Poison Ivy coming, uh, Ivy joining the group. Um, but let's go on to the next point because there's a lot more about Ivy in this episode. This kind of kicks off from this segment here with yeah. Barbara's return. Poor Ivy. Yeah, she- Ivy is being dissed all over the shop here. She is. Um, I don't know where Tabitha has got her kind of dissing focus on her. Maybe it's just because she sees Ivy as being a bit of an airhead to some degree. Well, it's kind of, she says that it's because she's a stooge of the penguin, she can't trust her anymore. So even though Selena has a really deep connection with Ivy and has always been friends of hers, now that Ivy has sided with the penguin, that's who true. Tabitha yeah. hates, she's kind of pushing her away. But Selena can't do anything to stop that. 
And we do again see Penguin treating her like dirt, effectively. I told you you could come along to this meeting if you kept your mouth shut, is what he says to her, you know? Um, yeah, I think the Penguin needs to give her a little more gratitude, given she effectively saved his life after being shot by Ed. And especially as she warned him against Gabe, you know, she didn't feel as though there was something quite right. And then in the end, her potions and powers managed to um, get them to reveal their, their, their true feelings for the penguin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's done an awful lot for, for the penguin to get him back on top after being completely destroyed by um, Babs, Tabs and the Riddler yeah. um, from season three. And so th- this about turn and his attitude towards her, I think is, is a big mistake by Penguin and he is going to rue this. Um, and in fact, you know, we really see that she's just had enough of all of this yeah, that's and it. wants to get into a position where she's taken seriously um, and she wants to have that power. Yeah, yeah, that's our case now for really is that she's had enough here. She is, uh, she is now turning to look for something new because she's being treated so badly. It's something that you miss a bit. I love Maggie has portrayal of this new Ivy in the show because she does portray her as this 14-year-old girl. Remember, she's younger than Bruce and younger than Ivy um, when she gets changed into this version of um, of Ivy, effectively, the older version of Ivy. Um, she is younger than those two characters, so she does have the, that tendency of being very innocent. And we always saw that. She was always very quick to lash out at people. That's actually what got her transformed into this Ivy last season. So, um, so she is still like that. She is still a child, but it feels like People like Penguin are treating her differently. Tabitha is treating her differently because they don't see her as the child. They see her as the adult. So, um, yeah, her mindset is now catching up with her body mm-hmm. as she wants to be treated to like an adult. She's moving from that adolescent stage where she wants to, to be fully involved and, and treated as an equal. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, she's taking, takes all the drugs. Yes. She really does. Yes. She swings back those potions. Um, as though they're going out of fashion a bit, really. I have to say the, the apothecary owner where she goes to get all of these drugs in the episode, he is kind of a standout character for me. I love these little kind of background characters that, that have a great moment. So as she comes into the shop and he sees her walk in, he's like, Oh, not you. You never pay for anything. You make me smell stuff. And then I don't remember <laughs> yeah. uh, anything that happened after you've left. So he's already got a track on who she is. And then he just runs out and lets her take all the drugs. I did find the, uh, a little, a little bit of comedy in the moment where he says, where she's trying to find the drugs and he says, they're in the safe. And she asks for the combination. He goes, it's unlocked. Um, why would you put them in the safe and leave the safe unlocked? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> really silly. Uh, but yeah, nice little, a uh, nice little moment with the apothecary owner. But, um, but yeah, I wonder has she taken the Tetch virus, um, as one of the things because you see her eyes turn black very yes. like, uh, very like when what happens with the other characters that take the Tetch virus. They don't normally swallow it. Uh, they normally inject it. So, uh, a little bit different there, but she's definitely taken a few other. Oh, there's a whole range of different potions she's taken there. So, I mean, how they uh, manifest themselves in her body. She'll be shooting out pea green shoots um, from her, from her fingernails, uh-huh. for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only one way that this goes, and that means she becomes the botanist from hell, basically. Absolutely. I'm um, so excited to see that come up. Yeah. I mean, one of the other quick things as well with Ivy Penguin, and of course we had Zaz in that scene as well at Barbara's new gun shop uh, where she wants to supply weapons. I'm so pleased Zaz is back. Um, I love his little smiles and his 
his joy at seeing weapons and, and the firearms the pack a punch oh I love it where he just ends that scene uh, carrying the biggest gun in her arsenal with the biggest smile this is mine now I'm taking this <laughs> Anthony Carrigan is just such a great little character to have in the show I love to keep bringing him back in these roles and I love that he has a much bigger role this season this is kind of the position occupied by Butch and by um, by the Riddler almost actually last season as well because Penguin always has to have a right-hand man, so I like that they've brought uh, Zaz in for that position. But Zaz is very well known in the comic books as the knife-wielding maniac. So I wonder, will there be a big change in him um, as one of these guns backfires in the future? He goes, I don't need a backfiring gun. I need a weapon that I can cut my victims with. I wonder, will he start getting even darker in the future? Yeah, he needs to start uh, showing how many scars he has on his body from Mm -hmm. all his kills. I mean, we certainly got that in season one, um, and I, I think he's he's totted up a few more now at this stage. So, um, yeah, but great to see uh, Zaz get his gun and, and obviously uh, be in the second episode. I hope he remains as a season regular for sure. That'd be great. That'd be great. I think it's on to our final case now, John. Yes, Bruce's brand new suit. Speaking of transformations. <laughs> Just a bit. Um, I love the little nod to... And the relationship between Bruce and Lucius Fox here um, that comes from Batman Begins, uh, that it's almost um, that that story, that that portrayal of Lucius Fox being there always for for Batman, knowingly, but always um, with, with a sly and deaf sort of ignorance of what Bruce Wayne does in his spare time. I yeah. love the whole, you know, the rock climbing metaphor and so on. But uh, yeah, w- w- that's great little sort of connective tissue here with with the movies. Great to see uh, Lucius providing it for his rock climbing. Yeah, that is pretty cool. The uh, it's, it's bulletproof for rock climbing. Yes, <laughs> really cool. Uh, really interesting that he recognizes it so instantly. I suppose because we've gotten to know Lucius Fox over the last couple of seasons on Gotham you do recognise that he is the character that kind of peers behind the curtain of what everybody's saying. He reads between the lines of everything that's going on. So if there were one person that was going to re- recognise instantly that Bruce Wayne is now doing something off the books, something different than this 16-year-old kid should be doing or 17-year-old kid should be doing, it was always going to be Lucius. He recognises it instantly that he was going in to tackle these these criminals and that's why he was caught by the GCPD. So instantly his mind goes to, well, I'm going to protect him. Um, I did used to work for Wayne Enterprises. I do have access to this weaponry and this and this uh, type of armor, so I'll bring it up to Wayne Manor and, and give it to him. Um, there's some great moments in here between between Bruce and Alfred as well. Where, Definitely. Where Alfred's kind of saying, look, I know you're going to do this no matter what I say, but I'm not coming with you. I'm not going to go and watch you be shot and killed. Um, but then eventually, because he gets this suit from Lucius, Alfred's willing to go along. Yeah, and uh, likes to use the um, long wave communications device yeah. uh, and where he says, a great jump there, Master Bruce, almost gazelle-like uh, as Bruce is leaping between the buildings. Um, you know, <laughs> great. really great uh, little Alfredism, as I say. Yeah. And um, but But yeah, that contrasts then really nicely with what happens earlier in the episode where, you know, Alfred is... Fearing for the safety of, of Bruce and um, that, you know, he is good with a, a punch and a duck and a dive and a, and a, and a, a chop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But that what happens when you come up against guns and actually Alfred 
uh, fails to take his own advice and goes, uh, you know, follows Bruce to his his first sort of recce uh, where he finds himself in trouble and, um, you know, has a gun pointed at him. Uh, but the, luckily, Alfred is there with the Bentley's uh, crowbar. <laughs> that was a great or, Yeah, the, 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 the wheel changer. Yeah, yeah, very cool at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just really liking their scenes together. I like that Alfred is now recognising that Bruce has had a lot of training now and that he can take a punch, that he is good in a fight, uh, that he has got the, uh, many of these talents. And we do see from Bruce here that he is admitting that he's never felt more alive than he does on the streets of Gotham, um, patrolling effectively. So uh, a little bit of Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of yeah, coming in here. Yeah, start of an addiction, I reckon. Yeah, um, yeah. He'll turn into a vigilante junkie. Yeah. Um, I, do you know what I was fascinated at as well in Wayne Manor was how uh, Alfred was cutting his bread. <laughs> really? And how he de- he was using the knife, you know, because of his SAS training, it seemed very precise, very... Um, very uh, confident with a knife, but then he turns the bread over. Yeah, no, the, the chef in me or the cook in me uh-huh. uh, was fascinated as to how Alfred was wielding the bread knife uh, and cutting his slices. Absolutely. I wonder what, uh, what the voiceover of MasterChef would say exactly. about that particular menu for the day, um, which is what Sean Pursue does in the off-season as well. Yeah, quite cool. Um, really, really enjoyed it and really enjoyed this interaction between the two characters. Right, I think we have to talk about it then, John. What do you think of the suit itself? Not a Batman suit. This is the first vigilante suit. What do you think of it? I don't mind it actually. I'm I'm fairly neutral on it. I I, I actually preferred his long trench coat um, and and because it almost looked cape like um, and I liked the use of the balaclava. Mm-hmm. I think the mask might be just a mask too far at this stage. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, if he wore that suit and still wore his kind of long flowing sort of trench coat that he had, I, I could really get that. I think the new technological stuff, like, you know, the, the gloves that allow him to sort of grip onto walls, mm-hmm. the communications bit, you know, it's almost like the start of the Oracle. You can get the, um, that beginning to happen. Um, I, I, I really don't mind it. I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. I do just wonder whether the mask is a mask uh, too far, too early at this stage. Um, but I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I like I like the kind of build up to it. I like the fact that there are all of these pieces and elements that we've seen over the line, over the last couple of episodes. As you say, things like will he wear a trench coat because hey they're cool and it looks a bit like the cape. Um, it is Alfred that makes the mask for him that didn't come from Lucius. Alfred said put on the mask that I gave you. And that's because when the four members of the gang that Bruce was chasing down saw him, they started to question who he was. They started to say, have I yes. recognized you? Are you famous? So I like that it's kind of building this way. It was very quick. We're only two episodes into the season. We've already got a prototype suit for the character, but I like that this is the first type. I wouldn't be very surprised if we see another version of the costume towards the end of the season or later Possibly. in the season. This is just a prototype on the start of it. But I'm liking it. It was quite cool. Definitely. Do you have any notes? Uh, no big notes. I think the moment of the week really is where we're where we're at at the moment. Um, we do have a bullockism of the week because you couldn't miss how wonderful <laughs> this bullockism was. It's right in the opening scene where we have Harvey uh, and Jim going through the place where uh, Jonathan Crane was last seen and Harvey goes this place smells like death which reminds me there's a Thai place close by if you want to grab a bite um, so it's quite quite interesting yeah. obviously not a fan of Thai food obviously not I don't know why Thai food is absolutely gorgeous mm. so um, 
but obviously not Harvey's thing. He's probably more a beef stew and a pint of Guinness. I think so. I think so. Uh, and a moment of the week for you? I think Saz getting his gun is definitely a great moment for me. I really thought it stood out. Um, but the Scarecrow bringing the clowns to Warden Reed is fantastic. Really enjoyed yeah. that moment. I thought it was scary. I thought it was really well done. Uh, again, as you as you mentioned earlier on, with the fact that it is in theatres at the moment, they must have planned this to coincide with the release uh, of it in theatres. Clowns are right where it's at as, as the scariest things at the moment. So, um, so quite cool to see that brought into Gotham. Yeah. I mean, for me, I loved, uh, the Zaz moment with the gun. And I think, um, definitely I loved as Jonathan Crane sort of moved towards the warden, just sort of scraping his scythe oh, yeah. uh, along the table. Um, I thought that was really cool just to get to have, uh, the scarecrow. Uh, and, and his interaction with Warden Reed mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, we did mention it last week that uh, Warden Reed was our character, our favourite character from episode one. I didn't think he was going to come back. Um, one of the weird things about IMDb, because it's submitted by the audience, um, he was only listed as having one episode in the season. So quite cool to see him back. Uh, in episode two, we're going to try and pull back um, out a character each week that we think stands out. Some someone that isn't in the main cast. We'll try and pull him out each week, and he was definitely from the first episode. And I kind of think the apothecary owner. Yeah, the apothecary owner definitely uh, loved him. Um, he just seemed resigned to the fact that he was about to lose more money. <laughs> um, yeah, and it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean that IV transformation, very brief mm-hmm. but very meaningful there after she has swigged all the drugs. Yeah, and I think the only reason that's not in my moments of the week is because I think there's just so much more to come from that scene in, in the next episode, so really looking forward to that. If you want to send us your moment of the week, as we said, that's going to be our competition for season four of Gotham. Just email us at feedback at Gotham TV Podcast or leave a voicemail for us over at gothamtvpodcast.com. So, John, overall, what do you think of the episode? I think this is another great uh, humdinger, really. Um, I would give this four and a half Zazzy guns out of five. Nice. I think this is really a great episode. Um, it, it, it brings the big thrills and spills from the Scarecrow uh, through to Babs uh, returning. You have Zaz in the... Uh, tipping along, bringing some great moments to this, uh, as well as with Harvey. Um, and of course, then we have the start of Poison Ivy as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was something I wasn't expecting uh, in this episode. And, and to see her really kind of just get fed up with her lot and treatment in life, um, almost a bit like Selena Kyle, uh, was fantastic. And of course, yes, we get the the sirens uh, starting to come together here mm-hmm. as well tentatively, as we tentatively yeah. absolutely as well as the 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 proto vigilante suit um with the mask really you know so much going on mm-hmm. this is going at a real pace uh, but it's balanced so so well for me yeah and um, so yeah four and a half zazzy guns out of Excellent. Yeah, really enjoyed this episode. Looking forward to seeing more next week. I think it's time to go on to feedback. Yes, our first bit of feedback comes in through our voicemail. You can just go over to gothamtvpodcast.com and click on the right-hand side tab, leave voicemail, and you can leave up to 90 seconds of your thoughts or comments on each of the episodes. Uh, This week's voicemail comes in through from Annalise. Hey, guys. Annalise here, and I just finished episode two um, 
actually in New Jersey with some of my Italian friends that I met in London and definitely say it was another good episode and it was actually pleasant to see Charlie not just in the scarecrow mask um, that he kind of took it off from time to time and whatnot. My only criticism I would say actually between both the last episode and this episode is that Charlie has seemed, well not Charlie himself, but the character of Jonathan Crane seemed to progress pretty quickly without like a lot of explanation and I was kind of like just, oh he was locked in the closet and then bam he's Scarecrow. Like I still love how what he is and what he's become. It's just, it seemed very sudden compared to some of the other characters. And I would have to say, probably one of my favorite lines, and it was probably due to who I was watching with, was the line that Harvey said about um, not talking to Falcone because Italians don't forget (laughs) things like that. Um, I'm also coming down from being on a location shoot today, and that is an experience in itself. Thank you so much for those thoughts, Annalise. I, I think I would have to agree with you. I'd love to know what happened inside that closet between um, his imaginary Scarecrow um, and him becoming the Scarecrow. I suppose in some ways he embraced it um, very quickly, but definitely it would be nice to get some kind of flashback there. Um, given that the, the fear toxin allows for those kind of flashes and those moments of of, of their biggest fear or or, or biggest um, moments that have shaped them. It would be quite interesting to see that. But certainly, yeah, he he moved on very quickly. But uh, I'm glad he's here for sure. Definitely, um, it's one of the difficulties, obviously, when you have a guest star like Charlie Dehan, who's on another TV show, who's on another movie coming out as well. So you probably only get him back for a couple of episodes. I did like the moment where he explains why he's going after Warden Reed, and um, effectively that he's also not only was he locked away in the closet by the gang who took him with the scarecrow, he was also locked away. From for three years by Warden Reed with no treatment, with no analysis, with no work being done to help him get over the fear that was caused by his by his father. He was brought into a hospital in season one. We saw that and he was being attacked by the scarecrow in his mind. And that's where he was left to just fester with this image of the scarecrow and being scared by him for three years without any help at all whatsoever. So I did like how they how they kind of alluded to that. And it is unfortunate we're probably not going to see Charlie's hand in every episode this season. He's he's a great uh, character. Um, so they do obviously have, have to do a little bit of shorthand with those kind of characters. He's not going to be like Oswald or, um, or Ed being in every episode since the start and getting that full treatment of creation of the villain. But it's great to have him back. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's a, a great line too. Italians never forget. I suppose... <laughs> Um, yeah, you were in good company. Um, but yeah, that's a, another great line. And yes, it's important that, that they're looking to bring Falcone back in uh, uh, as a force within Gotham. Yeah, a lot so, of people are, are kind of commenting on the fact that uh, that times under Falcone weren't as bad as they thought they were. 
um, when when this series started, you know, Bruce is saying it, Oswald's saying it, um, where they're kind of saying, you know, at least there was a moral code there. He may have paid off all the police and owned everything in the city, but at least there weren't, you know, crazies coming out and, and uh, filling people up with fear toxin, you know. Uh, but it is like, yeah, the, the line was really good. Um, Italians never forget things like you killing their sons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> Quite interesting. So let's see, let's see how that plays out. Next. Yeah, and exactly. great that you were able to get to, to see a, a shoot of... of of some of the scenes of Gotham was, uh, in New York. That's very cool to come yeah. across a set. They must film so much of Gotham um, because they're in, they do 22 episodes a season. And I know all of the Defenders shows for Netflix are all filmed in New York as well. So I think every time I've gone there, there's been a sign up somewhere on the street saying it's closed off for filming. It's quite a cool thing in New York. But to be able as a Gotham fan to come across a set of what, when they're filming Gotham is always really, really cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for that feedback, Annalise. Yeah. Thank you, Annalise. And we received some feedback in through from Claire Payne as well through feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. If you have any thoughts, you can share them through our email uh, as well, uh, like Claire has done. Claire goes, hi, Gotham TV podcast. The horror element of this episode was great. I did find it incredibly creepy and slightly out of my comfort zone. Charlie Tehan makes a really good scarecrow. And I really liked how we saw him with the with Warden Reed, the Arkham inmates and Jim. Jim's fear alone was nothing I expected. It was incredibly gruesome and deep. Jonathan coming out beneath his mask to confront Jim for his father's murder was excellent. Actually, every single scene with the Scarecrow in was brilliant. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I could not agree more. It's great to see uh, Jonathan coming out from beneath uh, that mask for sure. And I like the fact that he has a rationale for each of the attacks that he's doing. Yeah. Um, Clay goes on, Alfred and Bruce definitely kept the episode a little lighter, even though they were dealing with their own clashes of opinion in what Bruce should be doing. It was brilliant how Mr. Lucius Fox became involved in Bruce's recent rock climbing activities. One question, has Lucius still got the keys to the store cupboard at Wayne Enterprises? <laughs> it certainly would appear so, it yeah. Does. It does, yeah. I presume he had the codes uh, to be able to get back in and out whenever he wants to. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ivy certainly got the backlash of Penguin's tongue. You can't blame her for wanting to become stronger. It's a shame that the Ivy-Penguin friendship will probably come to an end, even when she went to Selina and Tabitha. Unfortunately, nobody took her seriously. Poison Ivy, I think, has now been born. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Ivy Pepper has had to take things um, into her own hands. It'd be great to see now if she um, is able to to come in with the sirens of Selena, Tabitha and Babs as they begin to establish themselves. Mm. I think that would be really nice to, to begin with. Um, certainly with her relationship with Selena, um, given that, as you say, Ivy and the Penguins relationship has come to an end, yeah. which is a shame given everything she did uh, for him. But, but then that is also Oswald Cobblepot. He, um, he has no regard for, for those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and he certainly, uh, means to keep himself at arm's length of anyone after his experience with, uh, Ed Nigma. Absolutely. I think for the transformation for Ivy, I think one of the things that I'm intrigued about is how is she going to make herself be taken more seriously by other people with potentially these new powers that she's gotten? What is it that she's going to do that Tabitha and Selena and Barbara will start thinking of her as an equal and Penguin potentially? Um, I'm really intrigued to see how they bring that in. Yeah. Claire goes on, Barbara's return with a new business venture in another opulent setup for the weapons business. The opportunity Barbara is giving Tabitha and Selena is really interesting. 
Her persona is completely different. She is calm and wants to be forgiven by Tabitha. A smart move to start selling weapons to the licensed criminals to make their way back to the top. When mm-hmm. Oswald, Zaz and Ivy turned up, Oswald did ask an interesting question. How did she pay for her new venture? Who is behind it? Um, yes, I am suspecting it's Rish Al Ghul yeah. here. Um, and even not only is he behind her new adventure, but he could be behind her uh, resurrection um, via the Lazarus Pit. Claire goes on to say, I really love how the episodes are ending with Bruce evolving more into the vigilante. My favourite lines of the episode was from Alfred. Ooh, that's a lovely leap, Master Bruce. Positively gazelle-like. Selina, isn't Nygma a giant popsicle now? Um, Gotham Season 4 has started with two very strong episodes, says Claire. Many thanks. It's a great, great little line there. Thanks so much, Claire, for your feedback. Really good to hear from you. And please, if anybody else wants to send their feedback, just email us over at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Kind of a big month, actually, for Gotham. Obviously, they premiered the first two episodes, but they're doing lots and lots of appearances at the moment. If you go up to our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Gotham TV podcast, I put up the um, Tribeca interview uh, at the Tribeca TV festival that happened after they aired episode two. So um, so there are some spoilers for episode two in it, um, but a really interesting video interview with with a group of the cast and Danny Cannon, the executive producer on there. Uh, go over and check that out. It was really interesting to see some of their thoughts on episode two and how they've gotten to this point in the show. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think some of them link in with what we've been talking about to today as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, next weekend is New York Comic Con. It runs through from Thursday the 5th of October through to Sunday the 8th of October. And Gotham will have a Q&A session plus a video presentation at New York Comic Con that will be held on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most likely going to be episode four because episode three is airing obviously next Thursday. Uh, so they're probably going to be showing episode four to the lucky audience in attendance at New York Comic Con. No chance of tickets, unfortunately. It's one of our favorite Comic Cons, but now getting sold out within minutes. Very difficult to get tickets, definitely. Um, and then there is the first ever Gotham fan event in Chicago in two weeks' time. From Creation Entertainment as yes, well. Yes, this is the first ever official Gotham sanctioned and Gotham only convention. Uh, quite cool. It's going to be hosted by Drew Pell and he's going to be doing the MC for the entire event. If any of our listeners have seen Drew Pell on stage with the rest of his castmates, he is the perfect person to lead uh, these types of conversations. He's great fun. Uh, his, his band Man Jam will also be playing an after show event that night. Um, loads of actors are going to be at the event. There's going to be Cameron Beacondova, Sean Persery, Robin Lord Taylor, Corey Michael Smith, Maggie Giha. They also have some of the guest cast. James Carpinello, who played Mario Falcone, and James Frame, who played Theo Gallivan, uh, will also be at the event. So, really interesting. Yeah, really, really a great event to go to. Love to make it to Chicago for that one. Definitely. Certainly uh, turn up if you are close to Chicago or if you have plans to be in Chicago mm-hmm. um, in two weeks' time yeah. for that uh, event. Um, hopefully, there'll be a, another one. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. If there is another one, we will try everything we can to get there for that one. Really going to be a good event for all of the Gothamites. Uh, finally, a bit of news about ratings. Um, at the moment, the ratings are starting to come out for the first two episodes of the season. Uh, most of the season for season two, the show was hitting around 3 million viewers a week. Um, 3.2 some of the weeks. And then the end of the season ended off at 3 million. Um, the first episode of the season was aiming around that again. Uh, even with the move to Thursday night, 
uh, it hit just three million. So it actually was the lowest rated of the premieres that we've had so far. But a new night, so it always takes a little bit of time for people to find the show as it moves to a to a new night and a new time slot. But interesting, obviously, the show is pulling in double the ratings that any of the shows on CW get. The channel that it's on, obviously, is a much bigger channel for Fox. So, um, But it is interesting. It is the best of the DC TV shows, as we've mentioned many times before, uh, with The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow uh, and all of their crossovers. They don't achieve the kind of numbers that Gotham gets on Fox. Um, but for Fox, it is it is down in the lower levels of the top 10 of their scripted TV shows. So um, so the ratings aren't uh, aren't as great as we, we had hoped for this season. Hopefully they'll start to increase as people get to know how good this show is. It's all relative, really. And, uh, of course, Gotham continues to have an excellent fan base and a most generous cast and crew uh, with their time, uh, you know. So uh, it's all positive, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully... We'll have a season five. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, but still 20 episodes left in this season. And yeah. thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Always good to have you with us. Yeah, absolutely. Remember, please come over and join us over uh, on our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Gotham TV podcast and answer the three questions that are there and we will let you through the door. And you can follow us on Twitter at Gotham TV podcast. And of course, any other thoughts and comments can be done through the Facebook group, through Twitter, but also through email at feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. Uh, and you can also, if you want to, leave a voicemail over on our website at gothamtvpodcast.com. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts at gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes or search for us on any good or villainous podcast catcher just by searching for Gotham TV Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us again it has been great speaking with you and of course we will be back with Gotham season 4 episode 3 They Who Hide Behind Masks which airs on Thursday the 5th of October so mm-hmm. yeah really intrigued to see what that one's about the um, good and the bad masks absolutely absolutely it John. will be like a Venetian parade and ball possibly we did see a little bit of that with the Court of Elves last season John do you want to go and get a drink? We need to talk about this coming war. Yes, I think. Whiskey? Thanks so much for joining us. Talking again next time. Absolutely. We'll speak with you again next time. Thanks. Bye. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham. Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham. This is Robin Lloyd-Taylor. I'm David Mazuz. Hey, Gotham TV podcast listeners. This is Maggie Gia, otherwise known as Poison Ivy. This is Drew Powell, and you're listening to Gotham TV podcast.